Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is David. I'm the liturgist here at the church, but this morning it's my pleasure to deliver the sermon. Uh, as many of you already know, in addition to being the liturgist here at St. Andrews, I'm also a high school English teacher uh, up at Miracosta in Manhattan Beach. Uh, and people, when they hear that, often ask me what classes I teach. And uh, I get a, uh, to give them an interesting answer because for the last uh, several years, the majority of my day teaching, three out of the five classes I teach, is spent teaching a class called Apocalypse Literature. It's a uh, class that I created and I teach to seniors that's literature that's all about the end of the world. Uh, and so we talk about that word, apocalypse, we talk about how it means the end of the world, but I also introduce to them the fact that the original meaning of the word apocalypse doesn't mean end of the world at all. That's how we usually use it, but the original meaning in Greek of the word apocalypse, or apocalypsis in Greek, is revelation. And of course, that's where we get the title of the book of Revelation. Uh, in Greek, the title of that book is Apocalypse. Uh, and so we talk about that. We go, that's interesting that this word that we think of as end of the world originally meant revelation. And we talk about, you know, is there an interesting connection between those two definitions, between destruction, end of the world destruction, and the revelation of things unseen? And what's the connection between destruction and, and revelation of knowledge. And so one uh, thing I use as an illustration to explore this uh, is we talk about something called a Large Hadron Collider. I don't know if many of you know a lot about physics or have paid attention to this, but I'll tell you what a Large Hadron Collider is. There is the LHC uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, and what it is is it's a 17-mile-long underground tube uh, that scientists have built, made out of cement. Uh, and what they do is they use it as a particle accelerator. They take subatomic particles, they, they open up the atom, and they take things like protons, and they shoot them around this tube. And they shoot two of them at light, it, it uh, speeds up to light speed, almost up to light speed, nothing can go as fast as light, but uh, they get it nearing light speed and then they crash them together. And of course, they do this because they want to see what's inside those subatomic particles. The destruction is serving as a method of revelation. And I find this to be fascinating, uh, mostly because I just am fascinated with this journey of them breaking open. I mean, it's amazing enough to me that we know that atoms exist, and now they've know what's inside an atom. They know protons, electrons, neutrons, and now they're getting even deeper, closer to the bedrock of all physical existence of the universe. What's even inside a subatomic proton? Or what's, what's a sub-subatomic particle? And the reason I think this is interesting because I see these scientists on a journey for a better understanding of what I'm going to call ultimate reality. What they're looking for is an answer to what 
What is the ultimate reality of the physical makeup of our universe? How deep can we go to understand what we're made of, where things come from? And I learned this term, ultimate reality, not from a physics class, but from a religion class. I took a comparative religion class at UCLA, and I remember the professor saying, one thing all the major world religions have in common is they're trying to search for the answer to what is ultimate reality. And because that was the focus of that class, I loved that class, I find things like this large hadron collider to be fascinating, and this fascination with this idea of the metaphysical reality of ultimate reality is what makes me like the Gospel of John so much. Because out of all the Gospel writers, he seems to be the one most fascinated with what are we learning here about ultimate reality. This is the Gospel that opens up not with a narrative of Jesus' ministry, not with the details of his genealogy or his birth, but with this statement in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is a bombshell of theological mystery at the very beginning of this gospel. John is interested in exploring the depths of ultimate reality. What did Jesus teach us about who God is, what God is, where all this came from? And he's willing to get into the weeds metaphysically about how this all works. And that's why I find the book of John to be so fascinating. And I believe that in the scripture that we're going to read today, we're going to see Jesus making a statement that is a major revelation in terms of ultimate reality, a major revelation about our role in ultimate reality. So, let's read it, and then we'll see if we can find this revelation. So, you can open your Bibles if you have them. It should be on the screen. This is the second half of John chapter 16. Uh, We're going to start in verse 16. Uh, This is still within what they call the upper room discourse, which is uh, Jesus talking to his disciples uh, before uh, his crucifixion. And it starts here. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Well, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, while the world rejoices. Very truly, I tell you, oh, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. 
and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Oh, do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Well, I mentioned that I think Jesus makes a major revelation within this scripture, and we can see at the beginning that the disciples are in need of some revelation. They are in a state of confusion. Jesus has been talking to them for a while, and they seem to be a bit overwhelmed. Uh, So Jesus says, look, what you need to know is that something major is coming, something very important. But just like the birth of a child, it's going to be painful. You'll soon experience pain, and we know, of course, what's coming is his crucifixion and death. But what will come after that will be of unimaginable joy. So, what is coming after his death and even after his resurrection? We know that's coming. We know that'll be joyful. But Jesus is also out, he's laying out that things are going to be different after I've achieved what I've come to do. He's laying out an argument of how ultimate reality is going to be changed because of what he's going to do. And I'd like to actually trace an argument I think that John is making, or at least a something we can see developing throughout the book of John, that Jesus is saying something really important here about. You see, John opens up the entire gospel of John with this major statement about the nature of God. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, who every reader would understand he's referring to as Jesus, was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. This is the major theological revelation of ultimate truth. It is a major statement of the Trinitarian nature of God. That Jesus is not just a man. That not just a great prophet, but Jesus himself is God. 
And as we read throughout the Bible, we realize that this relationship between God and Jesus is also between the Holy Spirit and we have this definition of the Trinity. That ultimate reality is the Trinity. This is where the subatomic particles help me think a little bit. Uh, if I picture those scientists breaking through these layers of physical knowledge, we know there's atoms, but what's deeper than the atom? Oh, there's protons, electrons, neutrons. What's, what's inside of that? And they get into quarks and bosons and things like that, and they go, we found kind of the bedrock of all physical reality. But what John is saying, that even more important than that, even more meaningful than that, when we break through all the layers of our knowledge, if you consider what existed before all these particles, what existed before creation, what existed before all of time, if you get to the heart of all reality, there is the Trinity. The relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that all things revolve around this. Now that in itself is a major revelation. That in itself is a major revelation about what all of reality orbits around. But then we learn more because Jesus came to reveal how this applies to us. We see in John 14 when he's talking to his disciples he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. And so we learn, wait, that relationship that exists at the heart of all reality, there's love there for me? He says, I love you and my Father loves you. And all of a sudden we realize that we are loved by the ultimate source of all reality. But I think he even goes further in these verses we're reading. Because he says this, Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and this is the moment I think is so critical here. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. You see, it's one thing if we are observers of this love, that we get to know that there is love in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's enough to know that believing in that saves us. But Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. You're not just observers. You're participants in the love of the Trinity. What I'm, letting, what I'm doing is breaking down all the barriers between you and the love of the Father. We don't get to just observe how much the Father loves the Son. Jesus takes us and he puts us in his place in the Trinitarian flow of love. That we are in a direct relationship with the Father now. 
Me knowing that there are such things as protons, electrons, neutrons, that's an abstract knowledge. I'm taking a lot of scientists' words that these things exist. I, <laughs> I, got, a, I got a D in chemistry in 1995. <laughs> uh, and that's about the extent of my scientific knowledge. Uh, so I, you know, I have, to, I have to have faith in some of the things that I'm told. But, and that's always going to, I'll be honest, it's always going to remain pretty abstract. I don't think I have enough time or energy to really get the theoretical knowledge to be like, oh, I get it, there they are. Uh, the love that the Father has for us is not meant to be abstract. It's not to, meant to be some academic knowledge that we get when we read the book of John. It's meant to be something that we experience that we know and experience the fact that we are in a direct love relationship with God the Father, which means we're also in a direct love relationship with Jesus, the Son, and we're in a direct love relationship with the Holy Spirit. So this major revelation, Jesus is saying, is not only do you now know that at the heart of all creation is the relational love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but what I'm going to do is I'm inviting you into that. You get to stand with me and experience the love of the Trinity. The theologian George R. Beasley Murray says, that the magnitude of what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that from that time on, therefore, life for them is existence in the shared fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, that relationship that is God, is the bedrock of all reality. It's an eternal, original relationship of love, all existence and reality revolves around this relationship. All things were created through it, and we are now invited into it. To me, that's a major revelation of ultimate reality. And sometimes the magnitude of it is overwhelming. I can understand how this book might say that, but it's hard for me at times, to understand that I really get to experience it. However, I think that just as the Trinity is the bedrock of all reality, the fact that from out of this eternal power is love for us as individuals needs to be the bedrock of our individual reality and conceptions of our own identity. The Father himself loves you. That statement must be the bedrock of our identity as Christians. For us, through Jesus, ultimate reality needs to be defined for us as the Father loves you. That you are beloved by the Father. That Jesus, through his love for us, invites us into that relationship. Everything we do needs to come from this knowledge. Now, I feel very privileged in my life for that to be a felt reality. Uh, my dad, who many of you have met, uh, for over 20 years was a, a pastor in the Vineyard Church. Uh, 
And in addition to uh, pastoring a local church, he also put on uh, these conferences at different churches all over the country and all around the world uh, where he would speak. And uh, my parents would sometimes be gone for a whole week or several days. Uh, and uh, I remember them doing that when I was in fourth grade. And uh, they'd leave me with uh, my grandparents or some strict aunt or something like that, or somebody that they'd find. Uh, and uh, I was getting a little sick of it, plus fourth grade was not uh, something I was enjoying. So uh, for the fifth grade, they said, okay, fine. So they, they decided to homeschool me. Uh, and one part of that was I was homeschooled, but also I started going on all these trips. All these uh, ministry conferences my dad would put on, uh, they'd be multi-night, conferences, and I'd be sitting in the front row, usually drawing pictures or reading comic books or something, but I'd be listening the whole time, and then we'd have ministry time, and then I'd go pray for people, because I just thought that's what you're supposed to do, uh, even though I was, uh, you know, 10 years old. Uh, but I was just marinating in this, and the title of my father's conferences was The Father Loves You, and that was the heart of the message. Night after night, the Father loves you. The basis of our existence as human beings is that we are loved by God. And so for me, that became the bedrock of my understanding of myself as a Christian. I'm so thankful for it because I think it's the reason I'm still a Christian. Because no matter what challenges come, I have that bedrock. The foundation that my faith is built on is that I am loved by God. However, sometimes for us, it's hard to connect to that reality, to believe it. There are barriers that keep us from truly experiencing this love. It might be for you, the words of people in your life that have told you that you are not loved, that you are not worthy of love. It gets even harder when that person was your father. And when you hear something like the father loves you, it's hard for you to hear that. Sometimes many Christians have a different bedrock belief in God, that he's not a God of love, but he's a wrathful God who should be feared, who hates us, unless Jesus saves us from him. But I'm here to tell you that that's not true because the scriptures don't tell us that. In John chapter 4, we have verses like this, in, in 1 John chapter 4, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And listen to this, we love because he first loved us. You see, God is the primary mover of love in the universe. He loved first. Jesus didn't come to save us from a God who hated us. No, Jesus was sent by a God who loved us and wanted to rescue us. We see that in the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, the bedrock of our understanding of God needs to be the fact that he loves us. My, one of my favorite writers that I've quoted many times up here, Henry Nouwen, 
says, the truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. Called the beloved from all eternity, even echoes that language, that from that source of ultimate reality is a calling, and what it's calling you is beloved. And so my prayer for all of us this morning is to understand in an experiential way that bedrock love that God has for us, the love of the Father. And if you say, I can't get there, well, remember, throughout these talks that Jesus is having, he says, I'm telling you this truth, but something else is coming to help you. And of course, we know that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to break down those barriers between you and the love of the Father. Whatever it is that makes this hard to accept as a reality in your own life, we pray that the Holy Spirit would break down whatever barriers lie between you and the love that the Father has for you. So let's pray. And as we close in prayer, I'll just pray that anyone that needs it, and we all kind of do, but anyone that needs the power of the Holy Spirit to break down those barriers, to open the pathway for the love of the Father to come into their heart, we'll pray for that to happen now. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that what you did on the cross through your resurrection was break down the barriers of sin, break down the barriers that kept us from understanding the Father's love for us. We know that this is what you've wanted since the beginning. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that anyone here that needs to feel that experiential love that God the Father has for them, that you would break down any barriers within their mind, within their heart, that they would feel the presence of the love of God in their hearts right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for creating all of this world so that we could eventually find our way back to your love. Pray that you make it a reality this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.